Hello and welcome to the VIP pod. I'm Emma, one of your hosts. In this series, we meet a range of people who are visually impaired. We're hoping to raise awareness of people who've got many different sight conditions, all whilst having a great conversation and having a bit of a laugh too. Hi there, this is Rupert from the VIP pod team. In this episode, Emma talks to Stacey Scott. Stacey talks about being born blind, growing up in South Africa before moving to Scotland, and her experiences in a mainstream school where she learned to touch type at the age of seven. They also discuss the accessibility of the tube in London and Stacey's love of travelling and going around the world as a visually impaired person. As with all our interviews in this series, it was recorded online remotely, so the sound quality may vary. lockdown been for you Stacey what's been happening I'm quite good in a way because <laughs> I've had so much more time to like get stuff done I don't know if anyone else feels like they just never used to get stuff done but I feel like I used to go to work and commute and have this big to-do list and never <laughs> ever actually tick anything so now it's like oh I have time like that hour that I would have been sitting on the train um yeah. now I'm actually getting stuff done and uh, we got a, my husband and I got a tandem uh, a couple of weeks ago so we've been trying to get out and get some miles under the tires so that's yeah. been quite fun because we live on the edge of Surrey we tend to try and find some cycles there the Wandle Trail is quite popular for us and um, yeah we have a few sort of parks and things we can cycle and, and we head out to um, to Surrey and to the Downs and mm-hmm. Box Hill I've not done Box Hill yet but um, good 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 so how old how old are you Stacey if you don't mind me asking uh, I am, oh, I've got to think, uh, 34. 34, still a baby, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where did um, where did you grow up, Stacey? So it, my my accent suggests Scotland, which is, is true for the most part, um, but I was actually born in South Africa, um, so spent the first sort of five years of life in uh, Cape Town and uh, then moved to Scotland when I was five because my parents were from Scotland. Um, and then yeah grew up there school and university and stuff and then moved to London uh when I was about 24 so yeah 10 years now which is okay. just doesn't seem like it at all how, how was growing up in Cape Town was it Cape Town did you say Cape Town yeah I mean I, I have some memories of it because I was quite young um I remember fantastic thunderstorms that's my key memory from when I was young it's just these incredible thunderstorms that we never get here um oh, wow. which which I remember being quite spectacular um but yeah I mean I, it's sort of difficult when you're that age because you just remember little things like that and like sunshine and I remember dogs we had a lot of dogs and um yeah mm. pretty much stuff like that that sounds amazing I think I'd love to go to Cape Town so how long were you in South Africa for and just tell us your the yeah so that was just that was just when I was young so just like the first four or five years and then you moved back to Glasgow? Uh, well, near Glasgow, yeah, just the, the west coast of Scotland, which is obviously different, but that's where my grandparents are and stuff. So that was obviously the better place to be. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then just grew up in a very small town on the west coast. So very, yeah. you know, raised on square sausage and haggis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't like haggis. <laughs> oh, you've not had the best haggis. You know, you can actually get square sausage with haggis in it now. And that, that's, that's got to be tried. That is actually quite nice. Have you never tried a, have you ever tried a deep fried Mars bar? Emma? No. 
oh Emma you'll have to try one tell me about growing up what was that like yeah I guess it, it was in, it was interesting um so I went to so I was born blind um okay. so I had a little bit of useful vision like uh sort of movement and sort of colors and light and dark and stuff like that but nothing nothing hugely uh useful I suppose um but I, I went to mainstream school um and I had you know sort of uh your know, specialist teacher support and and things like that which was you know it was absolutely amazing to be able to have that and to, to go to to mainstream school um for me uh, and, and it was it was interesting because you know, one of the things that they, they taught me when I was seven years old was how to touch type. And like, for me, that was the most, one of the most like helpful things I've ever learned was how to touch type. So, you know, I was there with a typewriter, you could imagine back in the early nineties, um, you know, doing my lessons, typing them on this typewriter when I was, you know, seven, eight years old. So, and I've used it ever since, you know, I've touched, I've done touch typing to for, for everything you know writing emails facebook updates and okay. to you know writing uh you know university work and everything so it's it's this skill that i learned so young but it, it stayed for you know hopefully forever um and it's been just so useful for that um and then another thing they tried to teach me was how to read braille which uh -huh. I, I it was an interesting one because I, I you know i was i was in mainstream school and i just wanted to you know be like the other kids and by this point I think I was about you know 11 so I was going into te the teenage years and mm. um they, they kind of they taught me a bit of it and then they said okay you're going to you know secondary school now the academy do you want to continue with braille so I said no because I thought well mm. you know that makes me different right no one else is learning it it's a very quote, blind thing to learn and for me at the time it was just like no one else was blind and it was a big thing that made me stand out so so I didn't want to do it and then when I think back to that I think I really wish they just insisted I do it because I yeah. think that would have been like touch typing it would have been the reading equivalent for me it would have been really really helpful to have that and I just think I probably wasn't well equipped enough at that age to make the right decision on that yeah. one um, just from my own sort of personal point of view how did you cope being um, partially sighted when you were younger? Did you? How did you cope with it all? I was very much just. Okay, my family were very much. You know, you you just crack on with whatever life gives you, right? Mm. So they never. It never. It was never really a thing. Like they never really mentioned it. It, it wasn't brought up very often. Like the the school would just you know get me like massive massive print books like huge, and I'd have a big magnifier and all this sort of stuff and you know these books the lines that have been <laughs> drawn with a massively thick pen and all this sort of stuff so mm. I just used that as like the materials but then yeah it was just never it was just never much of a thing and I, I just I still went out and played and tripped mm. over curbs I couldn't see and I mean I used to ride a bike and I and I think mm. I don't think I had enough sight to really ride a bike back then <laughs> but I would just <laughs> go with where I thought I was and I'd or I'd follow the sound of friends ahead of me on the bike and you're just fearless when you're young aren't you you know it's not it, it just didn't really ever seem it wasn't really something I thought about much when I was younger and how much can you see Stacey so like you said you've rode a bike but is it do you think has that got worse yeah so when I when I was about 30 so about 2015 like it kind of went away completely so they, they never knew what my sight condition was and they always said oh it, it, it never seems to change it will always be stable 
So I never, I never then went for eye checks, and because they they they, dis, they discharged me basically. They said it, it never ever changes, so you never need to come and see us ever again. <laughs> so I thought, great, fine, because no one really likes doing that. So that's mm-hmm. fine by me. Um, but the weird thing is, and it's really hard to explain. I didn't know that I was losing the vision I had, okay. and I didn't even really understand when it had completely gone because. I think a lot of it's to do with with your your mind and your brain and making up the rest of the picture, you know. And I think there's some interesting statistic, like you know, your sight's actually a really tiny percentage of it, you know, and your brain makes up the rest. And so my my brain was still seeing everything around me, like it still does now. Like you know, I can look around the room, and I I I think I'm looking around the room, but I'm not. It's it's the brain making up what it thinks should be there. So this this must have been happening for quite a long time, and it wasn't until I started sort of maybe walking into things that weren't actually there or thinking you know something was a certain color or shape and it wasn't, um, and I started sort of realize actually this things aren't right they're not quite what they seem and and I, I honestly can't even pinpoint the time when it, it went in completely because now I don't even have light perception I, I didn't I, I didn't even get left with that. Um, but I, I can't I can't even mark the month that that disappeared and, and that's really weird to me because I think back and I'm like how can you not remember when you could see the sun shining or your phone screen light up and then you couldn't but but I think it's because the brain's just made up so much of it itself that I just then <laughs> just this massive thing happened in life and I have no idea when but I know that it did it's really odd it's really odd to even think about yeah because it seems so binary then what sort of time ish in between yeah it was about were... sort of about 2015 2016 I think okay. I would say then yeah. and then I think like 2017 18 19 was me kind of adjusting to it not being there anymore and because mm. it's still it's still a loss you know when you can realize and then because I was a very visual person that's the other thing like I loved things like you know you know, I guess the thing that a lot of people like, you know, like amazing sunsets and blue skies and, you know, coastal scenes. And for me, you know, coming from Scotland, I was so lucky because I had the, the picturesque vistas of the Highlands. Mm-hmm. And I love to look over a lock and see the, the reflections in the water. And for, for a long time, it was hard to not be able to do that anymore. But I think mm-hmm. over the past sort of year, you know, year and a half, I've kind of come to the point where I am grateful that I ever could rather than mournful that I no longer can and it's just it's it's difficult to get to that place but it's a much happier place to be and it's not that it's that all the time because sometimes you do get parts where you kind of you know kind of get a bit wistful and think back and go oh it'd be great to you know see that that again and all that Mm. sort of stuff and you do get those times but you know if the majority of the time you can just think oh actually it was really cool because I did and now I tend to focus a lot of energy on trying to make sure I remember so holding those mental pictures and images um like photographs in my mind for as long as I possibly can so I because my main worry now is that I'll forget what they ever looked like so it's yeah (laughs) a lot of my energy now goes into just trying to take snapshots and keep them I feel bizarrely, I don't know, I, I'm just not as, I don't know, anxious. I feel more mm. confident than I did mm. before. And I, I think a part of that is, and, and I hate to say this, when I when I have meetings now with external partners, say, or other colleagues, I feel more equal. Mm. Like I'm not having that mm. bit of finding the building, 
meeting mm. a new person maybe sometimes the interaction you get when it's like I've never met a blind person before what do I say what do I ask and it's mm. like no no we're, we're just it's just business it's all fine um you kind of don't have any of that like you're all just on a screen mm. so so all of that sort of stripped away and and you can just have a conversation and actually you know you can you can just sit there and you can have your video on or off and do what you want and no one even has to know you don't even have to make it a factor whereas before in person it's always a factor regardless of what you're doing whether it's you know drinks with friends or a business meeting it's always there but on a zoom call it's not and for me that that was really quite interesting um to to feel that and it but it makes you kind of go I'm not sure if I want to go back to the way it was Mm. like I'm quite liking this. Stacey you touched a little bit on about anxiety through being blind and have you suffered with anxiety before is it how does it make you feel? It it might be quite a sweeping statement I would think anyone who is is blind and and even that's a tiny bit active has anxiety I'm not sure it's possible to to be blind and not have a bit of that because you always have to do things differently you always have to think three steps ahead you know you 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 can never have it's very rare to have say a whole day of interactions where everything feels just easy breezy and like it would for other people because there's always a situation right you know like where where is the bus or I need to find the door or you know you go into a meeting and we're, I need to find the chair and it, it, there's just there's always there's always something um mm. so I think I've never been you know crippled with anxiety which which I, I I'm really thankful for because I can absolutely understand why some people are mm. and I think that's my Scottish family upbringing of you just crack on so it's like <laughs> I'm, I'm just it's gonna be you know you know battered into me for want of a better term um for me you know brought up in scotland that you just have to crack on you know which is some days is, is easier than others it just mm. depends sort of what happens in your day but but it, it it always really shows to me actually how much other people certainly for me how much other people can control that level of anxiety so mm. if somebody's helpful or friendly that anxiety level can come down from say a seven out of ten to a two because I, someone's just given me a tiny bit of kindness and actually just made my day so much better and just made me feel better. And and I, I, for me, I almost wish I wasn't so highly affected by other people's behaviour or reaction, but, but I am. So tell us, have you got a guide dog then, Stacey? Yes, so I've got a golden lab retriever, although she just looks pure lab. Uh, and her name is quite apt because it's Biscuit and she's very, very greedy. <laughs> um, so yeah she's been she's been well named and uh, yeah she I got her in um October 2018 so about seven weeks before I got married so she had to come Ooh. to the wedding which was interesting um but very nice and uh, yeah so it's been about you know nearly two years now it'll be two years in October which seems incredible um congratulations I waited, thank you <laughs> I, I, I waited over two years to to get her uh, which I now understand is actually quite a short period in time by gay dog standards, particularly in London. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, oh, it's, it's a whole conversation in itself, isn't it, Mike? I mean, you've got Mac, um, you know, what it's like having a gay dog as opposed to, say, using a cane. You know, it's, um, it's, I, I just remember so many times walking through the streets going, why why am I being led by a dog? Why am I trusting a dog? And not just that, why, have I, why am I doing it in London? Of all the places to be doing this, London, you know, walking along 
Euston Road or Charing Cross Road thinking what am I doing? Why London I guess? So you, you when did you end up moving to London yourself? Yeah so I, I went to, to university and and studied maths I, I, which I really really enjoyed. Well I never started out maths I mean when I when I was at school I hated maths and I, okay. I remember I remember looking at one of those scientific calculators and thinking, there's so many buttons on here. Who on earth would ever want to get to the point where they need or they need to know or want to know what these buttons do? That just seems horrendous to me. So I went to university uh, psychology and it was fine, but it, it, it just it wasn't really grabbing me. And I think, you know, one morning I was probably hungover. And uh, ended up in the wrong lecture theatre and sat down. And after about sort of 10 minutes, I could have realised this is not psychology. And, and, it, and I'd walked into a maths lecture by accident. And I just sort of stayed because I thought, well, I don't want to get up and walk out. Like, that's a bit weird. So I just stayed. And I actually remember getting quite into it and, and really enjoying it. Okay. I sort of thought about it and I nipped a few to a few other of the lectures. And, and I got really excited about it. And and then I went up to the, the, the kind of tutor at the end of one of the sessions and I said, and I explained my situation, I said, but I actually, I'd really love to take up um, maths as part of my degree. I was really excited. And then they looked at me and said, oh, no, you can't do that. We, we can't teach blind people. No. And I was like, sorry. And they were like, we can't, you can't do maths if you're blind. That's ridiculous. Like, how, you know, it's very visual. How would you do that? And I took their point, but I said, well, like, if you agree to work with me and we, we both try and come up with solutions, let's see how the you know the first grade goes in the first semester and if we can't do it then I'll, I'll I'll give it up it's fine and if I can then you'll agree to support me for the rest of the degree so they said yep okay we'll do that and and luckily they did do that and and it went well and I got a good grade and they said you know come and do it as a degree and and I did and they were wonderfully supportive and one of my favorite uh, classes turned out bizarrely to be graph theory which is just insane and, and then I was that person using all these weird buttons and going like well, again what's happened in my life why am I doing this <laughs> why am I sitting using all these weird buttons um and doing that um so it was oh, wow. it was really it was really great because I'd never really taken my vision impairment into much consideration is it never university never prepared me for the world of work and how difficult that was in general for a, a vision impaired person but particularly for, for maths, because during my maths degree, you know, I had so much support. And when I got into the world of work, I just remember, you know, the fact that I was visually impaired and I was applying for these jobs as a graduate in, in banks and things. And they just, mm. they just didn't even want to have the conversation with me, you know. And I remember turning up to one in Glasgow for what I thought was to be an interview for a job. And one guy came out. And, you know, took me into this little side room, not much bigger than a cupboard. And it just had two chairs and a little table in it. And he sort of, sort of crouched over, he's sitting in his chair and he starts talking to me in a very sympathetic voice. And as if, you know, oh, you know, thank you for, for being able to come. But, it, you know, that wasn't the interview that everyone else had. Everyone else had, you know, three people at the other side of the table. And they got asked, you know, questions about the role and their capabilities and their strengths and all this stuff. I didn't. I got this little chat, you know, thank you for being able to come here. Now off you go. And I never, I saw, that was my experience right. when trying to get a job, certainly in the financial sector, when I, when I left university, unfortunately. And it just, it knocked my confidence so much. Like, it, it really did. Um, so I spent probably about eight months not really sure what to do and trying to get these jobs that just was going absolutely nowhere. Was that in Glasgow? 
that was in uh, just outside Stirling. But I started to have communications and, and do some courses with the blinding business who are based in London and they support visually impaired graduates into the workplace. So they were holding some seminars and workshops and they were all based in London and they would help me financially and I would travel to London. And I just remember absolutely loving it. I mean, London compared to, you know, West Scotland towns is, is like, it's like insane. Like it's absolutely crazy. And I remember I would visit and I think I'd never be able to live here. Oh my gosh. It's, it's just too exciting and too big <laughs> and too scary and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And this went on for the longest time, you know, me visiting and so desperate to be there and absolutely, to be honest, miserable where I was in Scotland, just getting nowhere. And mm. it got to this point where I just thought, okay, you need to do something. So I, I, I literally, I'd, by that point, I'd, I'd made some wonderful friends in London and who were so supportive. And um, I, I bought a one-way ticket and packed one suitcase and I, I moved to London and I stayed on their floor until, and for about, about two months I'd been there and I managed to get a job and rent a room in a flat and start my London life. And that was 10 years ago. I was really lucky because I was able to do that. Um, but it certainly wasn't fun the, the, the months preceding that. So, you know, whenever I you know, know of anyone who particularly who has a visual impairment and they, you know, they're trying to find work, it's, you know, I just know how much of a struggle they're going through. And it doesn't even seem to be much better now than it was 10 years ago from what from what I'm seeing and the statistics are the same and it's it's a real shame the mental capacity and the agility you have if you are visually impaired is actually quite incredible in, employers should really want that because those people are determined <laughs> the people that are, are visually impaired and they're out doing stuff true this is true I mean it's so hard to find work but I feel like if you are blind or partially sighted I think it might be easier to be in London for me I, I just I, yeah I mean it is but I for me like being able to turn up and uh, I mean the, the tube staff and TFL I, London Underground is just incredible it, we don't have anything else like it in, in Europe or perhaps the world where you can turn up and you can sit, find a staff member and they're so helpful and you can say oh I need to get you know to Victoria and they'll say okay and they they help you onto the tube and someone meets you at the other end and I I think for so many you know disabled passengers when you start partially sighted passengers it's just incredible to be able to do that for me it was just it, it just opened up a whole world of freedom and independence and confidence and fun and stuff that I just in in Scotland there people are absolutely lovely but you know the buses stop at five o'clock and you know that's if they turn up and you just you can't turn up somewhere and cross a whole city and get the help you need and I thought Londoners were so friendly as well you know I really did I mean I probably still do I just haven't seen very many of them recently (laughs) um certainly when I joined you know when I sorry when I came to London everyone was you know so helpful and you know offered to give me help to you know cross a busy road or find my way and I love chatting to everyone it was I think I thought it was the best best place and I do I still do think it's the best place in the world where did you meet your partner uh, we met online actually okay. we were I guess the you know 2010s version of, of dating I suppose um yeah so we just I, I just a lot of friends and I were just doing online dating and just met you know went on dates with lots of different guys and uh, then this one was a keeper 
or I couldn't get rid of them. I don't know which one, but um, <laughs> yeah, and that was in 2012. Oh, and has he got a visual impairment at all? Or? No, he doesn't, no. And did he find it all? How did he deal with it all? Or did he not at all? Was he totally cool about it all? It's just, yeah, he's just like, again, you know, I, I've seen such horror stories from a lot of people dating um, when they're visually impaired. And I think a lot of it's just, it's luck of the draw. And I was so lucky with with some of the, the you know, boyfriends I've had and guys I've met. And certainly with, with my now husband, you know, it was just it just wasn't in the top 10 things to get to know about me really like it was there and, and I made it clear you know in my profile I just don't want that thing of worrying about that like if the, if the guy's on a date with me he knows that part of me and he's fine with it and that, those are the guys I want to date right so if if somebody's not okay with it they can scroll on they can swipe right or whatever you do in these things <laughs> um I I don't want to date them anyway so um I just put something like you know uh you know I, I was really into tandem cycling um which is good because I'm not great at the front of a bike because I can't see very well something like that you know so okay, it's cool. humorous but like letting them know um yeah and I think when I asked my husband, Andrew, now, you know, he says he just didn't really know what visually impaired meant. Like he said, he just had no concept of it. So like he'd just come and meet me and find out for himself, like what it was. And I mean, for the first couple of dates, like I, I, I arrived in the coffee shop, you know, like half an hour before he did. So he would never see me come in and maybe, find, uh-huh. you know, bump into a chair or use my cane and all this sort of stuff. And so that that kind of thing is difficult, you know, and it's like I can't remember when I felt okay to first talk about things like you know using screen readers and you know Mm. having a cane and I would carry the cane but I'd take his arm and like I don't know when I first ever let him see me use it but I think it was quite a while I'd always be very very early for stuff which he now thinks you know it's a shame that I ever showed him that I did use (laughs) a cane because now I'm never on time so (laughs) you know he loved those (laughs) early days when I was all shy and you know not quite sure how to disclose my visual impairment so it is a tricky one for a lot of people and I I get why because you just want to be yourself and it's a part of who you are and that's great if other people accept it and then then it's really great yeah I'm still dating and it's a bit of a nightmare it's a bit of a minefield whether you're blind or not (laughs) I still think it's a very hard thing to dating it's just generally hard um, so you've travelled a lot haven't you Stacey so so tell me about where where you've been and what you've done Oh, I've been so lucky. I, I love to travel and I I never, I'd never really gone anywhere until I got my first job. So my first job was with, was with an international development charity called Sightsavers. Um, and they basically do a lot of work uh, across the world to, uh, a lot of it's uh, sort of clinical work around eye care and eye health. Um, and then they have uh, so, stuff to support blind and sighted people through education and social inclusion projects. So I was on that side of things with the education and social inclusion. Um, and I got to meet some wonderful colleagues and work on projects in across Bangladesh and India and d- different parts of Africa. And I taught uh, technology at a school in Freetown in Sierra Leone and just had the most exhausting but amazing experiences that you know again it was just so I was so lucky to have um and just met such you know just experienced such wonderful cultures and and it sounds kind of corny but you know sometimes you go to these to some cultures and some places and 
you know, we have it really easy here sometimes. I mean, we don't feel like it, but certainly I, I found that helped me a lot to adapt to being kind of on my own in London was, was ex- you know, having these experiences of other cultures and, and being able to take from, from their cultures stuff here and, and in my life as well. And, and, and I've, you know, I've kept in touch with a lot of people that I was able to um, over those times. And, and it, it's just as wonderful to talk to them now as it was 10 years ago. Yeah, cool. Uh, and traveling. And did you, how have you found traveling being a, a blind person? How have you found that? It's always scary. And again, I wonder if, if, if youth plays a big part in it, because the stuff I think back to, you know, my travel experiences, and I'm like, how did why did you do that like I would never do that now even say things like I, I remember I was gonna you know I, t- I was gonna meet friends in Cyprus and because one of them was getting married there and I kind of I think I had the name of the hotel and nothing else so I, I turned up in the airport and they were like what do we do with you like and I'm like oh well there must be a bus or something right and I didn't have a lot of money and I'm like well I know I can't afford a taxi like there must be a bus or something they just put me on a bus and like towards the general <laughs> direction of the hotel and I would never do that now now I'd have like everything planned out and I'd be stressing about like where am I going to get the bus and what if I don't know where I am and where I'm getting off and and I think what's happened to me because you know 10 years nine years ago I was just just didn't care honestly just didn't care and I think that's the glory of your 20s I guess like you just even now I think why did you move to London with no job and nowhere to live like you idiot <laughs> what did your family say oh they were not yeah they were not happy well I didn't I, I well I didn't say I'm going to live in London I said uh, oh by the way I've been living in London and I'm now, I've now got a job and I'm fine you know because I was I wasn't living near them at the time in Scotland, so um, yeah, that didn't go down well. They're happy about it now that it all worked out, but no, they were adamant I was to come home and I wasn't to do it. And but I knew for me it was the right thing to do. And the reason I didn't tell them is because I knew they would have stopped me or would have talked me out of it. And I think that would have been much worse. I, I was so desperate to be in London. Where would you say has been the best place you've been to and most interesting place that you've been to? Oh, it's so difficult to decide because some of it depends on, you know, what I did there as well. Like the, the, the hardest I've ever laughed was when I was in Ghana um, and I met some wonderful people there. And I just remember having the, the most amazing experience and laughing probably all the laugh I'll ever have in my whole lifetime was in one week it was just my my belly was sore for days I just laughed so much so that's one of my favorite trips but but then you know I, I you know in Sierra Leone I love Sierra Leone and I just think it's so fascinating and what's Sierra Leone like it's it's really nice actually I mean it's got beautiful golden beaches um mm. and the people are very very friendly and it's had such a troubled history with the civil war and I think you know it's it's at a point where it's still trying to get over that and get on um but then of course you know and it and it was and it was doing really well but then either then Ebola came um and, and and people had to then start over again and so you know you meet incredibly strong people when you travel to places like this people have been through things that you only read about or see in documentaries and you can't imagine and you know so you know I had a conversation with someone there about some of the things that they'd witnessed during the civil war and it's just incredible and and it's similar to when I when I was in India 
one of the most fascinating parts was Bhopal and someone was telling me their experience of the Bhopal disaster um, and, and what happened and what they did and what, you know, what it was like. And for me, it's like to be able to, to have those conversations face to face with someone who has been through these kind of things, it's just absolutely priceless. So for me, those are the trips that, you know, will, will be with me forever. What's the Bhopal thing? Um, it was a, I think it was the, it was a chemical uh, plant that exploded, yeah, and and a lot of a lot of people died and a lot of people had to escape and the person I spoke to was someone that had to to sort of run from it and a lot of their family you know died in it and and or didn't die but were very very ill, so it was and it was a very massive massive disaster. It was um yeah so to have the personal account of that was just just incredible um so i've certainly been to places that have been more i suppose visually interesting or you know like you know i love skiing in finland or you know iceland and with all the you know volcanic rock and all these weird and wonderful things but it's the stories and the people that i love so i i genuinely think i could love going anywhere if the people were welcoming and you know willing to to chat and engage yeah, I'd love to go to India. I think India is one of those places that I've got to go at some point. It's meant to be a really hard place to travel, though. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and it's I found it very very hard and bizarre. And some bits I didn't like, and uh, but bizarrely addictive. Like I so I I went twice. Both times I was working there, and um, you know Delhi was just nuts, like absolutely crazy, and just just people more people than you've ever seen in one space like this absolutely mad and just I remember just endless journeys getting to places but then I remember you know being on a train and meeting some wonderful Mm. people some teenagers that were chatting away to us for hours and hours and we learned all about them and they learned all about us and then you know in Bhopal with with people there and um and in Mumbai just you know just others it's just so colorful it's colorful and crazy and the food's amazing and just don't go when it's hot and and also you meant you touched on was it um you went to Finland was it Finland you said I mean in skiing so tell me a little bit about you able to to do those things which for me it sounds utterly petrifying it was just really surprising so so my my then boyfriend and I went to um Finland where he actually proposed so he's now my husband um but we we went for one of those like cute couple holidays so like you know you go husky Uh riding and sledding and reindeer rides and all this sort of stuff so we did all that and it was really really lovely and much fun and part of that uh you could go and try skiing um cross-country skiing so I was like oh well no obviously I'm not going to do that because you know I wouldn't you know just crash into a tree and that'd be us done um but the so so I said to my husband but you go and I'll stand and try and take pictures (laughs) or something you know so he said okay so we turned up and the the Finnish woman who was uh giving the lesson handed him a pair of skis and handed me a pair of skis and I said oh no I can't do the cross-country skiing because I'm blind so it's fine and she went no no you'll do the cross-country skiing come (laughs) on you know very kind of I was like oh right okay and because what I hadn't realized is that, you know, of course, country skiing, a lot of it is it's in tracks. Okay. So you put your skis in the tracks and they guide you like it's very 
difficult for you to come out the tracks you know you're you're, you're essentially being oh, guided right. by these tracks okay. and you have to focus on your speed your stance your stamina and and being able to ski it turned out to be you know I, I tried it then and then uh this year i went uh for a week in wyoming and america and then i came back and then i went for a week in finland again just to ski um and it was amazing because it was the first like exercise or sport rather that yeah. i'd done where actually i didn't need to hold on to anyone i wasn't on the back of someone's tandem i wasn't i wasn't tethered to someone's wrist whilst running mm. along nobody was you know helping me with the buttons on a treadmill or guiding me in a pool it was like i could they put the skis on me and they show any direction and instruction you need from behind but actually you're out there and part of it's like okay you've got a massive vast amount of empty space mm. of tracks go for it and then you can go as mm -hmm. fast as you can just try and ski as hard as fast as you can and and you don't have to worry about knocking into something or you know holding on to anyone and I just remember thinking this is just yeah. amazing being able to do this just just going oh, for wow. it and go, trying to go as fast as you can and it was just such fun and I'm not a good yeah. skier like I'm not you know I'm not you know I fall over a hundred times and I'm skiered in the hills but it you know I, it's I'll That's give it a great. go. I'll give most things a go. You've got to do it, haven't you? Just you've got to try, haven't you? And that you found something which I guess you hadn't realised, and then suddenly you're like, oh my god, I can do this! And this sounds it, maybe it must have been quite liberating, would you say? Definitely, yeah. It was it was really liberating and just yeah, it was it was lovely. And and I'd love to go back. And with, there's a group of people that I go with, and we're trying to get something organised. You know, we'd love to go to Norway, but it just depends on the the pandemic and, and stuff like that but I'm yeah and I'll be awful you know if I ever put skis on again and I'll be like I can't as soon as you put them on you think I can't I can't walk I can't take a single step and and I'm scared and I don't like it absolutely don't like it because another thing I love is, is rock climbing and and you know going up yeah I love that and caving as well so I all of that stuff but when you first do it and you start and you think I always think I hate this and I'm scaling the rock and I'm like, no, I don't like it. No, I'm really scared. I don't like it. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And then it get, you get a bit more comfortable. And then it's when you finish, it's that at the top of that cliff or at the end of your sprint of skiing that you then feel that adrenaline and it feels really, really good. But I spend a lot of time going, why am I doing this? Why have I signed <laughs> up to this? Why do I keep saying yes to everything? It's a great achievement though, isn't it? It's like having that achievement at the end, which is is amazing which you feel like you've done something amazing and you're like yay I can do that I think that's a, a really good thing yeah I just love to try like I'm never the best at anything like I, there's always people who will claim much faster than me and much better and know much more but that's fine by me like I'm, I'm not I've never been sporty if you like I've never been into it um and that was the other thing that was weird I'd, you know I'd never tried any kind of sport or anything until I came to London and then you know was able to, to to you know experience all these things and and it's not to say all these things are in London there's you know there's these things are now everywhere and and you know thankfully people are becoming a lot more accepting to the fact that actually blind and partially sighted people can do these things um and and that's amazing and you know you've got companies now that again pandemic aside you've got companies now that do incredible holidays that are tailored for you know blind and partially sighted people and 
these things and so it, it is opening up a lot more it still could be better you know I don't I still had to challenge a gym who said oh well perhaps you should go somewhere else when I mentioned that I need a bit of support you know um and you know but so we still have those challenges but every time you so when you do achieve something I guess it just feels even bigger because it it's been so you know there are quite a few hurdles to doing a lot of things so what would you say would be the best bit of advice you could give to someone who is losing their sight it's a really difficult one isn't it because it's such a a difficult journey and I've been on that and I know people who have and who still are um and everyone takes to it in in different ways and it's it's a difficult one I mean I, I think it's sort of what I said about my experience I think it's it's trying not to look back at what you had but looking at what you could have going forward and it's it's so difficult and I think you have to be in the right place for that I think there would have been a time if someone had said that to me it would have fallen on deaf ears um and there's a point in that journey where you realize like time does help it's really odd but it does and you know it's something that seems like you'll never get over it at the beginning somehow and you don't understand how because I think people can't comprehend their own strengths you get over it and you keep going and every day you keep going you think well can I do another day and can I and, and if you can do another day well actually could I could I go and try nipping to the shop with the cane and and then you do and then you, you build it up and you build it and you build it and it's not easy um but it but it you find that you you've somehow managed to conquer that and you would never think that you could and what, what would you say has been the hardest part of being blind for you I think for me it's nothing practical that's the interesting thing being blind isn't much of a practical issue in the end you know once you learn how to be mobile if you like or you know use a cane or a dog or you know once you learn how you prefer to read and write and access your information you know all of these things are available the, the, the biggest barrier for me is the social perception and and I think that's and it's get for me it's, it was getting to the point where I didn't care so much anymore where I didn't feel I mean, I used to have a point, you know, I'd feel nervous to go to a restaurant with my, you know, my, my date mm. or my boyfriend because I, I, I was worried that the waiter would say, what does she want to order? Because they did. And, you know, where does she want to go? What does she want to do? And all of these things. And this would happen time and time and time again in any area of society that you were in. And every time that happens, you know, it, it, it affects your confidence. It affects how you feel as a, an equal human mm. being. Um, so it was never physical. It was never these, you know, people think, oh, it must be so difficult to, uh, you know, go out or, I don't know, you know, to travel mm. or to do it. And, and it's not because, you know, these things are set up and actually people can help a lot with that. But if, I, if we could just have a situation where everyone felt that everyone was equal, and spoke to you like you were equal, like you were anyone else in a group. That for me was was the biggest challenge, is just getting over the, the fact that sometimes society just doesn't understand. And that actually that's okay. And they're not evil and horrible, they just don't understand. And that's fine. And you can just get on with it and, and not let it affect your day. And sometimes it does, but, but overall, 
I think, but some of that's age as well. You know, you get older, you get less, you get less tolerant to it as well. You're just like, oh, <laughs> you know, I, I want a glass of wine. Like, ask me, I'm right here. Give me the wine. He doesn't know what I want, you know. <laughs> some days, some days better than other days as well, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It depends on the day yeah. that happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess the last bit I was going to just say, it's like, what, what, what's happening? next for you Stacey what's the what's the plan for you what happens next I don't know I, I mean now I feel like um just trying to keep going with the the job I'm doing and hopefully keep doing a good job and uh so I'm, I'm um Brookshire service manager um at the RNIB um so support, supporting uh you know kids with print impairments in education through this service um so we've got about 600,000 books now um and it's free. So I bring on board all the publishers and manage the relationships um, and also for the reading services side of it, which is the, the audio books. So it's a lot of um, relationship building stuff, which I, I really like. Um, so, yeah, it's just trying to keep going with yeah. that. And I guess for me now, it's a, I'm trying to build up my fitness because I've just had a lazy lockdown. So, you know, it's trying to, you know, not feel like I want to die when I've done a five mile walk or something um so yeah trying to get out on the candle and then I just never know I'm just always like I never plan anything like ever I've ne I never have it's always just been you know I say yes to pretty much everything and I just see what comes around the corner and you know sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad and just ride the wheels and see what happens. Stacey it's, um, it's been fantastic to chat to you and thank you so so much for doing the VIP pod really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Feel free to get in touch with the team by emailing thevippod at gmail.com.